0: Well, good morning, friends. Hey, can we just uh, give Olivia a hand for leading us in worship this morning? Excellent. Olivia is finishing up her last semester at IWU, which is Indiana Wesleyan University, down in Marion, Indiana. And uh, her, her buddy over there was on the keys, Jordan. Thank you, guys. Th- those ladies will be here next week as well. Our worship leader, JB, is gone for two weeks so we've invited them to lead us in worship, and she was with us about two years ago. Many of you just may remember, so um, it's cool to have her back because she's seen a lot of changes that we've progressed in the last two years. So awesome job, Olivia. Yes, she's only a college student. How awesome is that, all right? All right, well, it's good to be back. Uh, my name's Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here, and I've been in Africa for the last week, and it was 100 plus degrees there with humidity, and I get back to Snowmageddon. It happened on Friday. It was awesome. Whether you like snow or not, I think Friday was awesome. It was beautiful. You can't deny that. And you guys are troopers because you made it to church. There are people that will make every excuse to not come to church, but you didn't. So thanks for coming. And I'm really excited because we are launching into a new two-week series titled Unstoppable. And I asked my son the other day, uh, he's only eight. And I asked him, I said, hey, bud, what's unstoppable? And he thought for a minute. He said, I got an answer. God, Jesus, and you, Dad. (laughs) Woo! I said, you make sure you go tell your mom that. But it was awesome. But it really got me thinking, is there anything in our world today that is truly unstoppable? And then you have to kind of define what is unstoppable, the idea that something cannot be stopped. So I start to think, and I'm saying, well, mate, how about a tornado, a massive F5 tornado that just wrecks havoc on cities? And I said, no, because eventually tornadoes just get sucked back into the air, into the sky. So it can't be that. What about a tsunami and a massive tidal wave that is just going to come and crush a village island? No, because eventually the wave does break and the tidal wave disappears. So I begin to really think, is there anything today that is truly unstoppable? We found out last Sunday the New England Patriots are stoppable, so they're not unstoppable. Is there anything? And 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke into this in Matthew. Matthew writes about the life of Jesus, and he takes his 12 best friends, his 12 disciples, that he's been doing life with for about three, three and a half years, he takes them to the northern side of Israel, to a city called Caesarea Philippi. It's there where he asks the 12 guys, who do you guys say I am? And they respond, well, some people say this and some people say that. And Jesus stops them and says, no, 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 who do you say that I am? And Peter, bold Peter, speaks up and says, you're the son of God, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not what, friends? There's one thing in the world that is unstoppable, and it's the church of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can stop the Jesus movement. And notice what he says. The gates of hell will not overcome it, but I will build my church. The church is not the building. The church are the hands and feet of Jesus. It's you and I. We are the church. We just come into a space that we call the church and worship. And hear a teaching, but you and I are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. You and I are the church. So it's not a denomination. It's not a building. It's you. It's the people of Jesus Christ who are unstoppable. Come on, someone else got to say Amen because I'm preaching out right here and I'm getting hot up on stage already. We're only five minutes into the message. It's unstoppable. In fact, this early Jesus movement, Jesus is going to say this, but later Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to die because they did not realize who he was. See, Israel at the time was under Roman oppression and they thought their Savior, their Messiah was going to deliver them militarily to get the Romans out of their country. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to bring an entire new kingdom into kingdom of love and forgiveness and of hope. And they crucified Jesus. He was buried. For three days later, he rose again. And there he appears to the disciples for 40 more days. And as he appears, he gives them more instruction. And then finally after 40 days, Jesus ascends back into heaven. And all of a sudden, you get this movement of Jesus that happens starting with about 120 people that launch the Jesus movement. And if you want to turn turn to the book of Acts in your Newer Testament, that's where we're going to be there this morning, the book of Acts chapter 2. And all of a sudden, something miraculous happens to the early church. Acts is about two-thirds of your way through. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who write about the life of Jesus. Then you have Acts. Acts is a continuation of Luke's letter. He writes two letters. Acts is like the follow-up to Luke. And he acts, which means the actions of the early church, the actions of the early Jesus followers. And this, listen to what the early church was doing. They had it. They could feel it. They could sense it. There was something different about them. And Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says this. They, who are they? It's meaning, the 120 people who are starting this Jesus movement together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone, who? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had. Everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day. How often, friends? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number, how often? Daily. Daily. Those who were being saved. There was something different about the early church. They had it. They were powerful. They were loving. They were magnetic. They were passionate. They were filled people. And the people were droves would come to see what is this Jesus movement? Why was it so unstoppable and incredible? And in, in fact, it says not only were people being added to their number daily, thousands of people. Peter, a guy who disowned Jesus, Peter, who led a big sermon in front of people, it said 3,000 people were saved in one day. Can you imagine that? Not only were they saved, but they got baptized that day. That's a long church service. We're already looking at our clocks. We're 25 minutes in. We're like, get off the stage, Ryan. Come on now. They had it. And when you have it, people are drawn to it. When you have it, it's unmistakably, it's from God. When you have it, lives are changed. And when churches have it, there's a profound sense and movement of who God is. Church, I think we're on the brink of having it. It starts with us who's saying, when we have it, it doesn't become about us, it becomes about our Heavenly Father's will and desire in life. When did we ever think church was about us? We've Americanized Christianity. We don't exist for us, we exist for the broken world outside these four walls who do not know Jesus Christ. And if you say, "Why I thought the church was for believers, look at Jesus' words, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus says, I didn't come for for the healthy, they don't need a doctor, I came for the sick. Come on, church. We're unstoppable when we get on par with Jesus Christ. And His heartbeat is for the lost people, and if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, our heart better beat after His. And if it's for lost people, that's our goal is lost people. The early church was unstoppable. They had it. And I want it. Turn to your neighbor and say, I want it. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you better want it. Why is it you always are louder the second time? More fun. More More funner. More funner. You know what I realized about spending a couple days in Africa in villages? And uh, you're going to hear more about it in two weeks, no excuse Sunday. I really hope, I'm going to take a time out real quick, I really hope you come. We have incredible things planned for the church. Now, let me correct that, we don't, God does. It's awesome. We're going to party, and you guys are going to see things, and it's going to be incredible what we're going to do for God and how he's going to wreck our community. I really believe that deep down, so don't miss it. But when I was visiting a couple villages in Africa, I realized a couple things. They have absolutely nothing over there. They live in poverty, where they're kicking around water, plastic water bottles for soccer balls. They're playing tetherball, you know, tetherball with the pole and the string, and the, our Americanized tetherball, we actually have a ball that you hit around and the strings got to go around and wrap around the pole. They're tying water bottles together. And we met, we went to church in a village. The church, I guarantee you, was smaller than our stage. It was, had 120 people in it. I was sweating, and their church services are two to three hours long. They take up five different offerings. And I'm going to tell you, they knew how to worship. They didn't care. Man, it was sweaty and it was smelly and stinky, but it was awesome because they had it. They didn't care what other people thought. They didn't care how loud they are. Some guy had this little chini thing that goes, it was like deafening, but he didn't care. He's like, I'm worshiping. I'm sitting there as a white American being like, this is annoying, but man, you can keep going, brother, right? It was awesome. But then you get back here and be like, we Christianize our faith or we Americanize our faith so much. When the people in Africa in our village is McQui, let me hear you say Macui. We're gonna adopt that village and hopefully take missions trips to this village maybe twice a year to help them. They have no water. They don't have no toilets. Yes, you will go to the village and the guys are just over here in the corner, and you get the idea of what they're doing. There's no toilets. They have no rice. They have no food. They have nothing. They maybe eat one meal a day and it's just a handful of rice. That's all they have. And yes, I got a goat from them. They only had two goats in the entire village and gave me one. That's their livelihood. And I was like, are they not being the early church who was set on fire of Jesus and this is like, this is a... What was it, Josh? Where's Josh? I don't see him. Um, I think it was a month's salary for them. So here you go, take the goat. Man, when did we ever make this thing about Jesus about us? The early church made it about lost people. It said they preached with boldness. They were constantly going out. I think we have too many believers in, in of course, not at Radiant Life, but in America, uh, too many believers that want to make it about them. They want to be safe. When did God ever call us to safe? All throughout the Bible, you see God's uh, first word to everyone is two letters, go. He never says, pick up all your comfort and I'll take your comfort with you over here. It's always, if you obey, you'll go. God didn't call us to be safe. He called us to be weird and radical. We ought to stick out. We ought to let the light of Jesus shine through us into a dark, broken world. You and I should be unstoppable with the Holy Spirit. When do we ever make it about us? It's about our neighbors. who don't know who Jesus is. Who's just suffering right now? It's about that coworker that sits by you at break who doesn't know, who has no hope. But you have hope. You've got the message if you follow Jesus, you've got the best message in the world. But how did the church become unstoppable? In Acts chapter 1, these are the last words of Jesus. Before, after spending 40 days with the disciples, these are the last words before he, as soon as he gets done saying the last word, he's has gone into heaven. His last words to his disciples are these in Acts 1.8. But you will receive what, friends? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power not fear. Not to be timid. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And as a result, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the city that they're in at this time. And all of Judea, the county, the region that Jerusalem is in. And Samaria? It's the place where the Jews hate it. They hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated them. Jesus says, no, 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 because when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will get power and you're going to go be my witnesses in the places where you live and the places you don't want to go to. And then he says, oh, by the way, it doesn't just stay there. It goes to the ends of the earth. If I was to wrap the early church up with this word, or with this verse, Acts 1-8, friends, I believe what God wants us to know this morning is this that God gives us his power so we may overflow with hope to those who are far from him. So many times we make it about us. Yes, God gives us his presence for us so we can flee the addictions and our struggles and our pains in life. Yes, that happens, but oftentimes we keep it to ourselves. But Jesus says, no, 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 the Holy Spirit will come on you so you can go be my witnesses in places you don't want to go. To overflow with hope to places that you don't want to be because there are people who are far from me and the heartbeat of Jesus is those who are lost and broken. Go fill someone with hope this morning. Go fill someone up with hope tomorrow morning when you get up and go to work or you go to the grocery store. Go give someone the hope of Jesus Christ. Don't hold it in. We were never called to hold it in. We were called to be a church on the go and on the move. And I can't imagine Jesus ever envisioned his church would be people collecting, sitting in pews every Sunday. If that's it, I'm done with ministry then. God called us to greater things, and he says, it's when my spirit comes on you, you're going to drip, and you're going to drip, and you're going to drip, and drip, and drip with hope for people. In fact, Paul, who we were first introduced in Acts, his name is Saul. Saul hated this. He persecuted the early church. In fact, he's on his way up north to a city called Damascus with papers in his hand to go arrest followers of Jesus. He hated them. On the way there, light crashed down over him. He got knocked down to his duff from his horse. He's on the ground. He can't see, and he hears the words, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He says, who is it? It's the Lord whom you persecute. Now get up, Saul. I want to take you into the village, and someone's going to meet you there. At this house, Saul goes. He's blind. He can't see. Meanwhile, over here is a guy by the name of Ananias. Ananias, here's something from God. Ananias, Ananias, I need you to go meet this guy by the name of Saul. And Ananias is like, what? That guy kills people like me. He persecutes. He jails. He imprisons people like me. God, I've got something special for this guy. Ananias goes and meets him in his house. Ananias gives a word to Saul. And the writer of Acts, who's Luke, Luke is, uh, Acts is the continuation of Luke's letter, it says in that moment, it's like scales fell from his eyes. Saul received his sight. God would later change his name to Paul. Paul wrote two-thirds of our New Testament and became the greatest missionary known in the first century world, because he was filled with the spirit of God. And in the letter, two-thirds of our book was written by a guy who used to hate Jesus. He writes to the church in Rome. We have that letter called Romans. And in Romans 15:13, this is what Paul says about the spirit of God and power. He says, "May you, what, friends?" overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, my question is, how's your hope? I think for some of us, we desired, we really desired deep down to live a Spirit-filled life. But for some of us, it's like our hope Our hope's limited right now. We think to our marriages and our families right now, and there's just so much bickering that you come into the space and you say, I just have very little hope. Or your health is absolutely failing you right now. And you just say, I have no hope. And you have that rebellious kid or grandkid or niece and nephew. God, I have no hope. And maybe for others, it's our finances. And we looked at our bank account this morning. And we're sitting there going, I have no idea how I'm going to pay today's bills. God, I have very little hope. Can I tell you, we weren't meant to live this life. Paul says, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you will overflow with hope. In other words, we don't just get a little hope. That we take the hope through the power of the Holy Spirit and it begins to just overflow all the time, every day. This is the way the early church was marked. This is how the early church became unstoppable. They overflowed with hope. It didn't stop. But so many of us are hopes like this. Church, we were called to something greater. You know what Jesus says? Just about when he was telling his disciples, hey, I gotta die. And his disciples are like, no, 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 please don't do that. He says, no, no, because there's something greater coming. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit's coming. And the disciples still confused and Jesus says, but what's great about the Holy Spirit coming in your life is you're going to do greater things than if I stayed with you. How is that possible? What did you think walking around with Jesus would mean I can do anything, but Jesus says, no, it's better for me to go with my heavenly Father because something greater than I is coming and the something greater than I is the Holy Spirit that's accessible for you and I today. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Friends, why don't we have enough believers walking around truly believing in that in their lives? Church, one of my passions, as we've said, of our church, Reading Life, I really desire our church to be a place of hope and healing for this community and beyond. That they can hear the news of Jesus Christ. Our motto around here is live like jesus share his love but there's something on the back wall when you come into the worship center you see every sunday may we be a people who passionately lives like jesus and share his love fearlessly because that's what the early church did and they they were unstoppable worship team is going to sing us another worship song, Holy Spirit that we opened up with. My prayer for all of us this morning is that this would become our prayer. That we truly surrender say, God, I just want to be filled. I want to be filled with your presence. So I want you to stand right now as the team's going to lead us. I'm going to pray for us real quick. And I want this to be the cry of our heart this morning. Heavenly Father, there are some of us who are set on fire for you right now. There's others of us who have very limited hope. I pray now that our hearts would be open, that you would begin to reveal things in us, that your presence would truly speak to us, and that our hearts would overflow with hope. Because we can walk out of here saying, I met with God, and I was filled with His Spirit. I know He was there. And Holy Spirit, you are so welcome to here. In Jesus' name, amen.